If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to, and I'm going to be, I'm not used to preaching, so if I start drinking water, uh, please don't condemn me. Um, James 2, 21 through 24, it's been a passage that's very difficult. When you read it on a surface, it's not one that you actually want to preach that often. And I'll explain why I picked it. I shouldn't have, because after I got done, I went, this is much more difficult than I thought. But I really do believe it's God's message for us today. So if you have your Bible, turn to James 2, 21 through 24. It says this, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteous. And he was called a friend of God. This is the troubling verse. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Let me read that again. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. All we've done at the beginning of this sermon service is talk about the grace of God and faith in God. And now James throws us this little curveball. And there's been many theologian that wants to get rid of it. And I have been one of them. So let me just tell you how we got there. Rob, a few weeks ago, said we're going to do a summer series, and we want all the pastors that are going to preach to come into my office, and we're going to talk about what we're actually going to title the summer series. And as we began talking, we couldn't come up with anything. That's why on your bulletin it says summer series. That was all, these are the great minds gathered. So we have summer series. And it came down to this, is that we came to the place where we realized that all of us over this past year have had a story go on. Each of the pastors. It's been a time of transition. It's been a time that's different. It, you can see even the country. You turn on the TV. It's unbelievable. Every time I turn the TV on, I go, what's next? You almost can't believe it. The church has gone through it. Our families have gone through it. There has been a time of change that seems evident and it almost is permeating everything we have. And so for what hit me was this thing, this idea of we are between times. I really do feel that way. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going on. But I feel like I'm in this place of transition. I don't know if I'm the only one. But it seems like transitions everywhere, from our philosophical ideas to our theological ideas to the, to the politicians, to our church. There seems to be this between times. And I was reminded of a, a book that was... Uh, written by Eugene Peterson. I don't know if you know who Eugene Peterson is. He wrote The Message. And The Message was a translation actually for his daughter so that she could read the Bible. Can you imagine that? That you write a, retranslate the Bible so it'd be in her vocabulary. This is the kind of man he is. But he wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Now, for many of you, when I say the word obedience, you get freaked out, okay? But it was compelling to me. Long obedience in the same direction. It's actually a devotional. And he takes chapters 120 of Psalms through 134, which are 15 Psalms, and they're called the Psalms and the Songs of Ascent. There's this picture of this Song of Ascent. It's climbing. 
And so through the Psalms, 120 to 34, he writes basically this idea that long obedience continues in the same direction. And the very first chapter, he quotes Jeremiah 12.5. And this is what Jeremiah 12.5 is. I want you to hear this. If you race men on foot and they have wearied you, how you compete with horses? Think about that. How many people feel tired ever? Are you exhausted? We're trying to keep up. How's it going? Then why are we trying to do more is what he's saying. Why are we trying to race faster? Our world is only getting faster. It only seems to be quicker. You go on a vacation with your phone, it's not a vacation. I go and I I feel tethered to this awful thing, which is sitting over there so I could actually concentrate. That phone, you can never get away from. It's faster. You need things, it's faster. Everything's faster. What makes us think we can keep up with horses? So the very first thing that I want you to see is that we are not racing horses. We can't. We can't keep up. There's three themes that seem to permeate the scriptures. That when it talks about a person in their discipleship and their growth, there's one that we hear in scriptures about our flesh, our fleshly desires. We also see Jesus, when he prays, he prays about the temptations of Satan. And the third is the world we live in. The world is much less clear because it is changing all the time. That We don't know where we live and what times we are in. I want to talk specifically about the world we live in today. It's faster, but also we are like fish in the water. It seems like everything around us, we can't distinguish the difference because culture of the world and culture of the church have come together. And there's one of the strongest things that I think that's happened is this. The world's offering that is harmful is this. That anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. I want you to listen to that. Anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. And that's kind of true. But aren't all truths, these lies, just a little bit off that cause us biggest problems? You will not surely die. You remember that in the garden? It is true that we get all the universe at one time. Actually, when we pray to receive Christ, all at once we get everything. But in the way we live, that's not the case. We don't get it all at once. When we're reading a small portion of James, the passage of the story that we heard about, we've heard over and over in Sunday school. And it's the story of Abraham. And you know who Abraham is. He's a great man of faith. He's the father of all nations. We know who Abraham is. And it starts at Genesis 15, 6, where we first see where Abraham is actually called Abram. And when he's in... 15, 6, that's where he comes and God points out the stars and says, look at the stars, you will be the father of all these people if you can count them. And it says, and he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. What is, he, what, the, what is that story about? We start in 15 and the story in Genesis ends in chapter 22. We have the Old and New Testament. We see that in the New Testament, we have James recounting the story that's in the Old Testament. What story is he recounting? He's recounting the most significant story in Abraham's life. What is that? He's recounting the story where he sacrifices his son. He's about to. And he gets to that last part of his life, the oldest part of his life. But the very beginning part, Abraham is justified by his faith. 
So the beginning part is his faith. And what is his faith in? It's this. After these things, and I want you to hear this. This is Genesis 15, 1 through 6. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is the part of the story I love. I love that he doesn't have to do anything and he gets everything. I think we all love that part. I think, though, we have to see that in between times, we're racing horses, but we're also in between times. I heard a story of a trapeze artist swinging back and forth, and this is kind of the way we feel. That we take the swing, we're swinging back and forth, and eventually we let go. And the trapeze artist is waiting for the next spot. He hangs in midair, ready to catch another support. It's a time of danger, it's a time of expectation and uncertainty. And it's certainly a time of excitement. That's where we live, but there's a lot of uncertainty. And so what I want to talk about is from 15 to 22, that time in between times is where God works. God walks with him finally to the altar, but before that, he's willing to turn his son over at this final part to the altar. But God works on his life in between. William Faulkner, who was a novelist, Late in his life, he finally won the Nobel Peace Prize, a Nobel Prize. For, and during his life, he talked about the very events that he had encountered all his life, but he'd actually become a person who'd been discouraged, and he actually took on this job of actually making movies. And he made a quote that I think is very interesting about the events in his life. He said this, The events of his life are not monuments, but footprints. A monument only says, at least I got this far. Well, a footprint says, this is where I was when I moved again. He had been frustrated all his life. But he gets to this point at the very end of his life where his novel wins the prize. But he struggled all his life. But I think too often we look at the monument as the place that we want to put our flag and say, that's it. But God says, no, no, your life is footprints, just as he said to Abraham. And I think the very fact is we see our, life as, our lives as a vacation and not a pilgrimage. A struggle, and I get to the last point of this. We're not the only ones. Even Thomas asked Jesus a very simple question. He says, which way do we go? And what does Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. I'm going to conclude with this. Three times a year, the Israelites would go up to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem just means this. Jeru means new. Salem means peace. New peace. Okay? But if we remember where the first time we see Salem, we see it when Abraham actually goes to sacrifice to Melchizedek in the city called Salem. 
David takes us to Jerusalem, which is the city on the mount. And then finally, there'll be the new Jerusalem, which we'll all go to. So I want you to see from the beginning all the end, we track in this direction an ascent. Three times a year, the Israelites would climb up. They would do this during Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And they would take their children and they'd walk up this mountain from Palestine, the lowest point, to the highest point, which is Jerusalem. And they'd walk up the hill. And as they'd walk up the hill, they would sing songs called Songs of Ascent. And they would be singing these over and over. And you have to ask the question, why? They were going up. And as they were going up, what they were seeing from God was there was this place of ascension, but it was difficult. It was very difficult. And they would sing this over and over. And they were reminded in between times of this walk. Because they were actually living it. And so the reason I actually talk about this to you, I started with Rob Pacienza asking us what was on our heart. And the reason I talk to you before I get into the final story is this. Guys, it's a long journey. We are a church on a journey. We've been here 59 years. And anybody who's been here for any length of time has seen amazing, amazing things. And we've seen seasons of changes. And during those seasons of changes, we've seen amazing things. This last few years has been wonderful for my heart. I've understood the gospel in ways that I never have before. I don't look at that season of change and say it's bad. I say it's good. I think of the days of Dr. Kennedy. And I said all the things in the reach of the world has been good. But we are sitting in between times. I've been here 20 years on staff. I got here when I was seven years old. They just didn't hire me then. My parents came to know the Lord through EE, which is amazing. Somebody not actually knocked at our door, and my parents go, yes, we'll receive Christ. And then I'm at Westminster. I mean, and my dad becomes a deacon. And he goes on school board. And I look back and I go, I could see these snapshots, but I can't believe it's really happened. I look at people in this crowd and I go, you were a little kid. And there's people like Chuck that say, I knew you when you were a little kid. And now I'm in that pot. I'm getting in the old phase where I'm looking at people as little children that have grown up. But the reality is we look out and they're all snapshots. Dr. Kennedy told a story. I want you to listen to this. I'm going to read it because I don't want to mess it up. But this is what he said. Dr. Kennedy recited a story about a missionary who was coming home from the mission field in Africa. The man had been sent off to the mission field decades before knowing that he was coming, committing his life to a great calling. So upon his return, he had mixed emotions. He did not know what to expect. He had loaded the boat with very few possessions. Starting his sail back to America, as the journey was finally coming to an end, pulling into the port, he began to see great fanfare. Balloons, bands, and people gathered everywhere. He could not believe that this was happening. Once the boat had reached the dock, he quickly realized the fanfare was not for him. It was for a president who was on the boat also. So he left. There was no one waiting for him. Actually, no one even cared that he was there. So he left to the train station to go back to his final destination when a man noticed him. The man had seen him on the boat, 
the man noticed that he, his sadness and he spoke to the missionary. He said, I know you're sad about the lack of reception you received. But there will be great, far greater party for you when you get to heaven or your final destination. You will have a party of angels and a reception that only a president could dream of. And God will say to you, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And when I heard that the first time, I said, that is awesome. And then I said, that's horrible. <laughs> because it sounds good that we're going to hear that well done, thy good and faithful servant. But I don't know about you. I don't feel that way. I look at this missionary and I go, I don't feel as if I'm going to walk into heaven and he's going to go, well done. I feel like I'm going to slide in on my belly. I don't know how you guys think. I think it's going to be smoke. It's going to be, I just made it. I'm hoping God get there. I'm kidding them. My hope, my hope is not in what I've done. Amen. And I want you to see that. Thank God that we had two guys teach us two great things. But at the end of the day, this church is about the gospel going forward. But it's a gospel that will magnify and activate our hearts. And the reason I tell you the picture, the story about this wonderful woman that said I was handsome because it's true. And secondly, the reason I tell you that story is what I picture in heaven is this. And this is my little story, so don't take it from me. Don't tell me it's theologically incorrect. I won't receive it. Um, the story is when I get to heaven, after I've slid in on my belly and say, only but Jesus is the reason I'm getting there. Only but Jesus. Will my father reach down, grab my face, and say, you're beautiful. You're handsome. And he won't see me for who I am, but he'll see me for what Christ has done. And when I think about that, that stirs my heart for good works. Not because I need God's pleasure and favor, because God has set them and ordained them for me to do so that others can see that same story and that they one day will have their face grabbed by God. And he will say, you are a friend of mine, just as he said to Abraham. What an unbelievable hope that we have in Jesus. And I know some people in here have no idea what I'm talking about. That might be most of you. I hope that's not the case. But some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we call this a moment where you can just have time just to think about what Jesus has done for you. You know what Jesus has done for me? He's come and died. And he's taken my place for me. I should have been the one who died. He made the great exchange. He became sin for me so that I may be made the righteousness of Christ. And my hope, and why I call it good news, because without that, there would be no hope of heaven, and there would be no party. But there is a party waiting, and it's a party waiting because somebody gave his whole life so that you can have it fully, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. That is why we come to worship. If you have any questions about that, there's only one that's worthy, and that's Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who we exalt today. If you have any questions about that, at the end of the service, there will be elders here that will receive you and explain what's going on, because we want to make sure that you know that you have great hope and good news.